Through these readings and songs, we have been vividly reminded of the events of Jesus' crucifixion. Everything in us wants to avert our eyes, to not look upon the effect of our sin. We want to quickly move past the discomfort that we feel. We want to hurry up and get to the resurrection so that we might revel in the joy and celebration of eternal life. And there is nothing wrong with this. This is good. But if we don't stop first at the cross to see what our sin has done, we don't fully feel the weight of what the resurrection is. You'll notice that in many, many churches, Good Friday is no longer something that's celebrated. That's for those Catholics or those high liturgy people. But friends, without the cross, the resurrection is not balanced. We have to understand both to understand the fullness of what Christ has done. And so we will look at the resurrection on Sunday. We will look at it and see Jesus as the Son of Man, high and lifted up. But this evening, on the day that the church has historically and paradoxically called Good Friday, we need to slow down and pause at the cross to examine the good news of such a horrific scene. Psalm 22, like Isaiah 53 at the beginning of tonight's readings, is known as prophetic verse, used to look forward to the Messiah and what he would suffer on behalf of his people in this role portrayed in Isaiah 53 and carried out in the Gospels as the suffering servant. But unlike the other readings, which speak as outside witnesses to the scene of the cross, Psalm 22 speaks to us in the very words of the one suffering. It's almost autobiographical. It gives us a glimpse into the heart of the Son of God as in human flesh he was crying out upon the cross. In that cry, Jesus so perfectly models for us what a prayer of lament should look like. He declares God's good character and gracious activity, that God the Father is trustworthy, that he is one who is holy and is enthroned as king over not only the universe, but particularly the people that he loves, the people Israel. They were the people that, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, entered into covenant faithfulness and unity with the creator God. And because of that covenant unity, God was faithful to them. When they cried out in their affliction, he heard them, as they did in Egypt. He heard their cry and rescued them in the Exodus. He did so because he is a trustworthy God who exists in covenant faithfulness with his people. It's because of this faithfulness that the suffering Messiah of Psalm 22 is crying out in a bit of confusion. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you not answered my cries for help? You see, at the heart of lament is a comparison of current suffering with the known goodness of God. And when the two do not mix in our current circumstances, and we're not able to understand the fullness of the sovereign will of God and the brokenness we are experiencing, we have nothing to do 
but to lament, to ask, why God? Now, why this is interesting is because in his godliness, Jesus was in full voluntary. He was a volunteer for this mission of bringing redemption to God's people. And yet in his humanity, in the senses that were feeling the pain of the cross, he was asking the question, why? Now as the observers of this scene, we begin to feel deeply the pain. We hear in these words the trust of the Father and yet the sense of somewhat abandonment and the confusion that Christ in his humanity must have felt. We sense this not only from his words, but also from the description of what he was going to experience. In the Gospels, we see that experience of crucifixion. On the earthly level, the man Jesus endured horrific injury. He was whipped to such a point that his torturers held back a mere one strike from the legal limit so as not to kill him. He was maligned and spat upon condescendingly crowned with a crown made of thorns from a nearby thorn bush. He was wrapped in a purple robe, mocking his royalty as king of the Jews. One can almost feel the searing pain that shot through his body as it was laid across his wounded back. His eyesight was most likely blurred by a mix of tears and sweat and the blood that dripped from his brow. Jesus was so wounded that on his tragic walk to Calvary, he fell multiple times under the weight of the crossbeam. And then there at Calvary, he was nailed to the cross, pierced through his wrists and through his feet, placed in a position where he would slowly be suffocated under the weight of his own body, becoming too weak to rise up on his pierced feet to inhale even one breath. His body was too dehydrated to cry out any further. His shoulders, arms, and hips, most likely being stretched beyond capacity, unseated in their joints, but yet not broken. And if this was not demeaning enough, he was encircled by beastly people, Jews and Gentiles alike, crying out in vitriolic anger, challenging him to incite the powers of heaven to save himself. The soldiers, having no respect for the dying, gambled over his clothing before he had even passed into death. And all of this, Jesus suffered in his humanity as a lamb placed upon a sacrificial altar to be slaughtered, taking upon himself the sins of those who placed him there. But that's not all that Jesus suffered at the cross. That was just in his humanity. In his godliness, on a spiritual level, Jesus suffered something far worse. It's so painful that it is the very first words he utters in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, just as we said earlier, it is core to God's character that he is a faithful God, existing in covenant relationship with his people throughout the history of mankind. He existed in covenant with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, with David. And all of these covenants and the 
faithfulness that flowed from them were meant to image and declare God's triune nature, his close-knit relationship, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existing from time eternal in perfect love and unity. Mankind was created to image this faithfulness through covenant union with God, covenant union within God's people, and covenant union within the family through marriage. We express this piece of God's character in our our love and faithfulness one to another. We do so even by gathering in unity this evening to declare these truths to the surrounding world. And within this context of covenant then, the worst curse a person could suffer was to be cut out of covenant union with God and his people. It's to be sent outside the camp of Israel, to be excommunicated from God's people. Just as blessing was to be found within the covenant people of Israel, to be sent outside Israel was to be cursed. Here on the cross of Calvary, outside the city walls of Jerusalem, Jesus, the Son of God, is crying out to the Father God. He knows exists in covenant union. And he is asking, why have I been cursed? Why have I been sent outside of your blessing? Why am I no longer in covenant relationship with you? And yet, all the while, Jesus knew the answer. Because Jesus voluntarily stepped into that division. The division that you and I rightfully deserve. The separation from our Creator God that is rightfully ours in order to bring salvation. Because he then answers the question himself in Psalm 22. He says that those within his covenant, the fathers of Israel who trusted in God, they were not put to shame because of God's gracious covenant faithfulness to them. They cried out and were rescued. But in contrast, Jesus then says, but I am a worm and not a man. I have been scorned by mankind and despised by the people. In other words, he has been cursed by both God and man, sent outside the camp, sent outside the covenant blessing of God's people, voluntarily to bear the reproach of mankind and suffer a severing of relationship from the very God who created us. And this is why the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 13, 12, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. The Apostle Paul captures this same truth in his letter to the church of Galatia when he writes in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Friends, not only did Jesus suffer the physical pain that you and I deserve, but he suffered being accursed from God and his people. That is what our sin deserves. And yet he took that for us. Because at the cross, Jesus took on the curse that you and I rightly deserve. The reason that such a grotesque truth is good news on this Good Friday is because it should not have been Jesus that suffered these things. It should have been you and it should have been me. 
You and I deserve to be forsaken by God and forsaken by his covenant people. And if we have even the slightest bit of a voice that rears up inside of us and says, no, I deserved it a bit, and we don't understand the cross. We deserve to be forsaken. And yet God loved us, and he loved the cosmos, the creation, so much that God the Father, God the Son, by the power of, the God, of God the Holy Spirit, joined together in one on mission to save the very enemies that had rebelled against him. The history of mankind that is laid out within the pages of the Bible is one of a cycle of the one true God, full of love, grace, compassion, and mercy, reaching out to mankind with a desire for faithful relationship. And yet in every case, we have rebelled, turned to our own truth, pushed him aside, pushed aside his people, and then all the while accused him of faithlessness towards us. In doing so, we have lifted ourselves up as God and made all the world around us accountable to ourselves. It happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. It happened with the people of Israel from Abraham until David. And in each case, God's people chose to rebel and defile covenant relationship with God and one another, to be cursed in division, leaving God's people in isolation, exile, and shame. This is what we have chosen by our actions. And that story that the Bible shares across all of its pages is the same for you and me. In our lives, daily, we choose to lift ourselves up above God and above one another, enthroning ourselves on our own self-protection and self-worship, refusing to obey God and his commands, and most of the time, refusing to even become acquainted with his commands. And then we become angry and bitter at him because our lives seem cursed in our own minds, more so than blessed. And yet, even in the face of acting as his adversaries, his very enemies, God still pursued us. He came in the form of human flesh to live with us, to minister to us, to declare truth to us, and then to suffer a death he did not deserve in sacrifice as our substitute. As that substitute, he was slain upon the altar, feeling the fullness of God's just wrath against your sin and mine, as well as the fullness of being sent out of the covenant union from both God and man, being ultimately alone. As the perfect substitute, Jesus suffered the isolation and loneliness that we each deserve because of our sin. In all this, at the cross, Jesus took on the curse that you and I rightly deserve. This Easter Sunday, we will celebrate and rejoice in the fact that this act of salvation brought us back into covenant union with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But this evening, I want us to pause at the foot of the cross in unity with Christ to understand and feel the suffering, the forsaking, and the isolation that he took on for us. What a poignant truth that we can understand a bit more after this year of isolation 
and separation. At the cross, Jesus took on the curse that you and I rightly deserve. If you are a person who recognizes that you have not admitted this truth of your rebellion against God, I invite you to do so right now in the quiet of your own hearts. Turn to God in truth and surrender your lives to him in humility, professing that you are a sinner in need of his salvation and saving. Let's now humble ourselves for a brief moment in silence before we partake of the symbols of communion that Christ gave us to remember this sacrifice.